Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm here at Broadcast Central, Chattanooga, Tennessee. The reason we don't have a church this weekend, I'm making preparations, getting all ready for a video shoot. We're going to shoot a documentary there in Washington, D.C. this next week and then into New York City. I'm going to be responding to the question, is the United States in Bible prophecy? We'll do that production. We'll tell you when it's going to be done as soon as we can get everything on the edit table. That's when you make sure everything you've already recorded is good. You put that together through an edit process, and then you promote it across the country for people to get a hold of it. It's going to be, I believe, a very important documentary, so stay tuned for that. But that's why we're at home here at Broadcast Central for this weekend. Pray for us. And we're going to be all week, both in Washington and over in New York City. But that does not mean that we don't do our hour-and-a-half broadcast. Oh, that's what I need from you this weekend. We've got the broadcast partner standing by to give you the insight into current events, and we see how that fits into the prophetic scenario that is found in Bible prophecy. You know what we're going to do? We're going to have Dr. Don DeYoung with us a bit later. He'll be in the second half hour. He is a scientist. We're going to be talking about global warming. I was over in South Carolina. My daughter Jody was down in Florida at the time these hurricanes were approaching in the Carolinas and Florida. And I thought this would be a great topic. See what God's Word has to say about this as well. So stay tuned. Let's go now to Ken Timmerman. Ken's the man who looks at geopolitical events for us around the world, helping us to understand what's going on. And Ken, we've got reports out of Turkey that Andrew Bronson is going to be released from home arrest. That means I would imagine he's out and will be able to come back to the United States. We'll talk about another issue in Turkey in a moment, but that's good news for the release of the pastor, isn't it? Well, it is, but uh, look, Turkey is extremely cynical in this regard. They haven't done this as any gesture towards Andrew Brunson. They've not exercised clemency towards him. It's basically time served. So he's been released because he served his time, no more, no less. So, uh, you know, Turkey's arrest of this gentleman who had absolutely nothing to do with the um, failed coup against Erdogan last year uh, is, is really, two years ago, is, is, is really cynical. It shows that Erdogan feels that he can get away with anything and pay no price for it. And so far, he hasn't paid a price for it, really. You know, it's interesting, this decision made in Turkey by Erdogan. At the same time, there's an issue there with the Saudis and a journalist supposedly murdered inside the Saudi Arabian embassy there in Turkey. What do we know about that? I mean, uh, this is a big deal all across the world, isn't it? Uh, It is a big deal all across the world. You've heard many members of the U.S. Senate say that they intend to impose sanctions on Saudi Arabia, uh, that they intend to cut off U.S. arms sales to Saudi Arabia. So whatever happened, and we don't fully know what actually happened, this journalist was caught on CCTV walking into the Saudi embassy, the Turkish intelligence service claims that he never came out. Uh, the Saudi says he did leave. The Turks are now saying, well, we've got an audio file of him being interrogated. 
then beaten and ultimately cut up into pieces mm. by a, a Saudi hit team that entered Turkey, a 15-man hit team that entered Turkey before this gentleman came into the embassy and left Turkey shortly after he disappeared. How much is true? How much is invention of the Turks? Uh, I don't know at this point. Remember that Turkey and Saudi Arabia are at loggerheads in Syria and other places. They are not on friendly terms today. So a lot of this, some of this could be political uh, on the part of the Turks. But if they have a real tape and that tape surfaces and it shows what they claim it shows, uh, this is really bad news for the Saudis and in particular for Mohammed bin Salman. There is always the possibility that I could not entirely uh, exclude that this is a setup by people who are opposed to the reforms of Mohammed bin Salman, the young crown prince. But again, we don't know the full story yet. Yeah, that's exactly right. We don't know what we don't know. And so we'll have to stay on top of this story as well and try to give a report later down the line. Talk to me about Mahmoud Abbas. He's the president of the Palestinian Authority there in Israel. One of his advisors has said the Islamic religious war to destroy the state of Israel has already started. Now, I'm wondering what he's really talking about. Do you know? Uh, well, uh, this is the top Islamic advisor to uh, Mahmoud Abbas. He's a senior cleric, and he has been giving a number of sermons recently in public speeches, essentially saying that Israel is satanic and that the Palestinians are the representatives of the good Muslims at the end of times, and they are locked in this end-of-times battle with Satan as represented by Israel. And this kind of preaching, this kind of public incitement, is not new in the Palestinian Authority, but coming, again, from a top advisor to Abbas, it's very troubling. The Palestinian people for the past 30 years, really, since Bill Clinton stood with Arafat and Rabin at the White House in 1993 to finalize the Oslo Agreement so the Palestinian Liberation Organization could come into the West Bank and Gaza to rule. Ever since then, they have been indoctrinating children. So this kind of uh, incitement is falling on uh, very, very willing ears. Uh, the Palestinians agree with this message, I think, on the on the most part. It's troubling. Let's focus back on Europe just a moment. Looks like Russia is really doing what they can to set up a powerful influence in the Balkans and the Baltics. Why don't you take a moment, if you will, for those listeners who geographically may not understand the Balkans and the Baltics? <laughs> well, yeah, the Balkans, think the former Yugoslavia, think Bosnia, think those Serbia, those countries that were at war for so many years. Bosnia is still split into three ethnic enclaves, and the leader of the Bosnian Serbs, they have a tri-presidency with uh, a Serb, a Croat, and a Muslim who together serve as the president of the Bosnian Republic. And the Russians have been uh, really wooing this guy. He recently visited Russia for a Formula One competition to meet with Putin on the side. And he is, he is Russia's guy in Bosnia. In the Baltics, so this is on the coast of the Baltic Sea, on the North Atlantic, if you wish, coming onto the North Atlantic by, by Sweden and Norway and Denmark. There you have, again, abutting Russia, the republics of Latvia, Lithuania, and, and Estonia. They have now joined uh, NATO. This is a big deal. 
They were previously occupied by the Soviet Union from 1948 until uh, the fall of the Berlin Wall. And since then, they have joined NATO. Russia is very upset with that. Uh, Putin has publicly stated he would like to recapture those three Baltic republics. And uh, every now and then, including recently, he conducts these extremely aggressive military exercises at the gateway to the Baltics, uh, getting everyone in a tizzy, wondering whether this time it's for real. You know, Russia is not uh, letting down on their activities to seemingly control the entire world. We're talking about now Europe and that part of Europe uh, where they're trying to get a greater influence. We didn't even mention the Ukraine in that. And then back home, they're trying to have a military might that will scare everybody. And we can't forget that they're in Syria. And in fact, what happened recently was Russia recruited a team from Iran to help set up the S-300s there in Syria. So they're very active all over the countryside. Are they capable? Are they spreading themselves too thin with this? Well, again, you know, Russia has this concept of the near abroad, and those are the states of the former Soviet Union and uh, and those on its borders, like the uh, Balkans, and then the more distant abroad, like, such as Syria. In the near abroad, they want to be the dominant force, uh, if not necessarily uh, militarily occupying all of those countries, at least to control them. In the more distant abroad, uh, such as Syria, they want to play a major role, but they don't want to be on the front lines, and they certainly don't want to take casualties. So bringing in Iranian uh, missile defense teams trained by Russia, let's not forget, on the very same missiles, because Russia shipped the same S-300 uh, PMU missiles to air defense missiles to Iran a couple of years ago, Bringing them into Syria to man these new missile batteries, uh, air defense missile batteries, is a way for Moscow to limit its exposure uh, to uh, the Israeli Air Force. Uh, the Israelis, I think, in a way, are actually um, comforted to see the Iranians manning the missiles, because that makes them fair game, fair target. They don't have to worry about killing Russians if they hit one of those missile batteries. So uh, I think you're going to see is more Israeli attacks on the new Syrian air defense batteries, and uh, Iranian casualties as a result of it. You know, uh, just quickly, because we're almost out of time, Ken, looks like uh, we're seeing Iran's idea of human rights as persecuting Christians. Started out with that story. It's the case with the Iranians. Uh, yes, well, they, they look, the Iranians have never hesitated. They're trying to crush the house church. They've stated that repeatedly, that that's a goal of theirs. Ahmadinejad, when he took office for the first time, uh, in 2000, uh, uh, 2005, uh, he, he, he said that. So this is, this is not a surprise. Uh, they continue to round up Christians who were not part of the organized, tolerated church and controlled church. Uh, so they don't want the house churches to be uh, thriving, uh, but nevertheless they do underground. Islam on the move, as they have been in years past. Well, we'll stay on top of all these geopolitical stories with our good friend and broadcast partner, Ken Timmerman. Ken, thank you so very much. I appreciate the report. We'll try to do it again next week. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we have a Middle East news update. David Dolan standing by. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. As promised, David Dolan is standing by. He has a Middle East news update, a lot of items to cover. So, Dave, if you will, be staccato, and let's get all the information in. People need to understand that the Middle East is maybe the most important region in all of Bible prophecy. That's going to be where it all concludes. Other regions will play a role before we move to the Middle East, but ultimately the Middle East, it's the in game as far as Bible prophecy is concerned. Let's go to David Dolan. He's the man who knows about the Middle East. Moscow, David, has rejected the Israeli possibility of sovereignty over the Golden Heights. Now, that's kind of a jab into the gut for the Jewish people. I don't see how they could give up the Golden Heights. It's so key to Israeli security. Would you agree with that? I would, Jimmy. Uh, however, uh, Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov didn't actually say that Israel would never end up with the Golan Heights, but he did say to change this status unilaterally, which Israel has done, of course. I was there at the base of the Golan Heights living in a kibbutz in 1981 when the Knesset declared that the Golan is part of Israel, sovereignly part of Israel, and will remain that way forever. But he said to change the status bypassing the Security Council, I think, would be a direct violation of these resolutions. So he's saying the U.N. doesn't recognize this. U.N. previous revolutions doesn't recognize Israeli control there. So this has to be resolved at the U.N. But, of course, it's an indication that they do not support Israel holding on to that. And we've been talking about it. Israel and Russia have close relations, but Russia and Syria are very close allies. 
and obviously Syria is demanding the control back over the Golan Heights. So that is a continuing problem going on there. Well, the bottom line is that if you go back 3,500 years, when Joshua brought the children of Israel across into the promised land, he gave half the tribe of Manasseh the Golden Heights, book of Joshua, chapter 20 and 21. Look it up. It's there. And in fact, golden is the word used in the Bible. Bashan is an additional word for the same location. So people are not yet understanding. They will with the return of the Lord and the setting up of the millennial kingdom. And a part of that whole scenario is Iran going after the Israelis and trying to wipe them off the face of the earth. And this last week, an advisor to Mahmoud Abbas, head of the Palestinian Authority, said that Islam's religious war to destroy Israel has already started. What do you know? Well, it sure looks like war to a lot of people. Uh, Yesterday, Jimmy, there were 15,000 Palestinians rioting along the Gaza border. A bomb was set off. A bunch of young Palestinian guys rushed across the border towards an Israeli army outpost. The soldiers opened fire. Uh, The PA said that uh, six Palestinians were killed and over 50 wounded in the rioting that went on. Of course, this came a day after Israel uh, blew up yet another tunnel going into Israel, 650 feet already into Israel it was, Israeli territory. They blew that up. $3 million of cement was used, the army said, to produce that. It had electricity. It had trains, very modern. And uh, that, of course, uh, is being built along with the 15 others destroyed over the last year, 15 in total over the last year, to come in and carry out terror attacks in Israel. More incendiary balloons landed in Israel this week, in fact, for the first time in the city of Jerusalem, one on Emek Rafaim, a main road in the south of Jerusalem. I used to live a block away from that. I know you know that road, the German colony. It landed right in the middle of the street. Others on Thursday, Jimmy, actually floated up the what's called the Valley of the Cross. You're familiar with that, just next to the Knesset, just below the Knesset, and the Israeli Prime Minister's office, the center of government, several more. Another one was found on Friday on a road in central Israel. Earlier, a powered parachute actually penetrated a U.S. Army base's airspace in central Israel. Now, they're not saying that was a attack from Gaza necessarily. It could have been an Israeli, but very suspicious, and it came very close to an Israeli jet, actually. So the warfare on the ground goes on. There were more terror attacks in Judea and Samaria this week. A Palestinian young man uh, knifed to death a reserve soldier. So the war is continuing, uh, the holy war. It's not a new thing. Hamas declared at its uh, inception in 1988 that its goal was the complete annihilation of the Jewish state. That, of course, is still in the PLO's official charter, although it was watered down somewhat with the Oslo Accords, but it still can be found there. You hear it all the time from the statements being made by Palestinian Authority leaders and certainly from Hamas leaders. So all this going on, Jimmy, indicates the jihad is definitely on. There's no slowing down in it, and the Israelis are fully prepared to defend themselves, and they've they've made that clear again this week. John Bolton, who is the security advisor to uh, President Donald Trump, made an interesting statement this week. The Palestinians got really upset. He said he used this phrase: "Palestine is a so-called state." Boy, that got in the craw of the Palestinians, but it's true. They have never had a Palestinian state, have they? 
They haven't, Jimmy, but we're learning this week, at least Israeli media reports are saying, that the presidential uh, peace plan, President Trump's peace plan that's being formulated, will include the creation of not one, but two Palestinian states. That there will be a separate Palestinian state in the Gaza Strip that will be basically under Egypt's control. Egypt will take care of it, watch out for it. And that there will be a separate mini-Palestinian state in Judea and Samaria. This is apparently what President Trump is uh, going to propose. Now, the Israelis are not thrilled with any Palestinian state, but the separation of the two means that Hamas, at least, would be very unlikely to ever gain control over the first state in Judea and Samaria, with, with Ramallah as its capital, since Hamas is a lot weaker in that area than they are, obviously, in the Gaza Strip, which they fully control. This comes as the internal dispute between Fatah and the PA carries on, Jimmy. Abbas threatened this week to withhold all money to the Gaza Strip that the PA owes. Now, every month, $96 million is sent in to Gaza from the PA. That comes from international money. Of course, the U.S. earlier cut off its donations to the PA, but many others still contribute to that. He said, we'll cut that off entirely. Well, that would create further chaos, and the Israelis said, look, if you do that, we'll just divert the money we collect for the PA. Israel actually collects tax money every month, Jimmy, for the PA in areas that are Palestinian, that it still has authority over. And they said, we'll just divert that money to the Gaza Strip if you go ahead and cut it off. So there's a bitter rivalry still between the Palestinians internally. We have uh, these failing talks going on in Egypt. Uh, this week, Qatar transferred some fuel into Gaza just to help that humanitarian aid, about $50 million worth of fuel. Qatar supposedly part of this peace plan, Jimmy, with the United States and Turkey and Egypt bypassing Saudi Arabia. Mm. That's a whole other story I don't want to get into now. We could talk for an hour on that. But there is a lot of moving pieces right now, a lot going on. The situation is very volatile, and of course it's still volatile in the north and along Syria. But this week the attention has been mainly on Gaza and the Palestinians and what they're doing. Again, the Israelis, I've said this before, fear that this is all diversion. Iran has ordered Hamas to step up these attacks, to do all these things in order to get the Israelis' attention in the south and the center of the country while they continue to prepare for an attack in the north. That is the fear, and it's a very real one and one that could take place. So we're certainly watching out for that. Just talking about John Bolton, former ambassador to the United Nations from the United States, and the lady who has been there in that key position there in that worldwide body, Nikki Haley, surprisingly resigning this week at the United Nations. I'm sure this was a heartbreak as far as Israel is concerned, wasn't it? It was, Jimmy, and on several levels. One is related to the Trump peace plan because she has apparently, she herself said that she's been working with Gerald Kirshner, the president's son-in-law, on this plan that a lot of progress has been made. And the Israelis feel, well, they don't feel, they know she is a very close friend of Israel. She has a heart for Israel, along with a political support for Israel. She's spoken impassionately many times in the U.N. for Israel, on Israel's behalf. She's pointed out, unlike even John Bolton did when he was the ambassador, and he was pretty vocal, uh, the hypocrisy in the U.N., their anti-Israel stance, their anti-American stance often, 
a real champion for the world and democracy the Israelis believed in. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and other officials issued statements of regret that she's going, but understanding that, you know, this is her life, she has to go on. They're just hopeful that the replacement, whoever comes in her place, will be at least half as vocal as her they'd be happy with. Yeah, that replacement is going to be key, especially as it relates to Israel itself. David Dolan, the man who covers the Middle East, and we talk about issues that help you understand how God's prophetic plan is quickly moving better into focus and moving towards total fulfillment. David, thank you for the report, my good buddy. We'll talk again next week. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, John Root is standing by. He has a European Union update. That's another key region of this world. Stand by for John Rood right here on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy. Today we move now into our second half hour. Remember, I ask you for an hour and a half, 90 minutes. We need to have that each and every week so we can go to our broadcast partners. There, look at current events in light of biblical prophecy. Uh, They will bring to the broadcast table great insight into all these things that are going on. These guys are valuable to us here at Prophecy Today, and they're valuable to you because they bring insight that you may not have ever thought about. Then you put that with your prophetic study of God's Word, you're going to better understand where we are in God's time. The man who covers the European Union, and this is a key region of the world, is John Rood, living in Brussels, Belgium, headquarters for the European Union. For a number of years, I think about 30 years, whatever, he knows that part of the world travels across the countryside and around the world teaching on Bible prophecy, and in particular, the revival of the Roman Empire, why he is key to the conversations we have on a weekly basis. And John, let me start it off with this. Tony Blair, former Prime Minister of Great Britain, saying now that there's a 50-50 chance for another Brexit referendum. That could change the whole scene there in Great Britain. What are your thoughts about this? Is it very possible that could happen? There are certainly a lot of complexities here and many factors in the mix. So we have to add Tony Blair to that. You know, it's not the first time that he's been used more or less 
uh, by the EU to do their bidding. He's been very, very strong against Brexit. He had calls for Brexit to be delayed in the past. He's been dubbed the, quote, remainer in chief. So we should be expecting that these type of things would happen. But very interesting is that they're taking the fact that there's a deeply divided parliament that won't necessarily even be able to pass a Brexit deal that could be presented to them. So in this weakness, Tony Blair has advanced in saying that there's a 50-50 chance of another Brexit referendum. Now, I don't know what he would use for that source, but we could kind of read behind the lines as well as between the lines here. And it's saying that without a deal, there could be another referendum, which would seem very difficult because of the time frame. But there was a phrase included in this information that really struck me, saying that the U.K. could, in a sense, rejoin the E.U., with new membership terms, and that there would be a reformed EU, that EU leaders would be willing to reform in order for England to be back. So this is really startling. Well, what does that mean? How could there possibly be a vote to know not only what you're going out of, but what you'd be coming back into? So, again, this has been something that's done behind closed doors, We don't know what EU reform would even mean, and Tony Blair is in the center of it. Yeah, wow. This is a very strange position that uh, Tony Blair is taking, but it's seemingly going to take the European Union in a very interesting direction. We'll have to stay on top of that story for sure. Meanwhile, Brexit aside, let's talk about how the British uh, military is uh, putting uh, their military actually to the test to have the ability to reinforce Europe and to make sure, uh, as a part of Europe, even though not a part of the European Union, possibly, they're going to be able to defend the entire continent. What do we know? The U.K. is, is willing to show they are still stressing their commitments on the military side, certainly to NATO, And so there are these large exercises, some of the largest exercises since the Cold War, uh, but also not only showing their capability, but their willingness. But also we know that Russia has done uh, absolutely massive military maneuvers in recent times. So there seems to be somewhat an escalation in those terms. But I always look for the interesting addition here. (laughs) In addition to the exercises that are being done now, just showing the deployment of United Kingdom forces landing in Holland and going up to Norway, in addition, there is actually uh, Arctic exercises Hmm. that are coming up at the end of the month, which will also be quite large. This is substantial development because this is the area where Russia is really putting the emphasis And, of course, they have uh, claims to the polar region and the northern transportation routes. So it does appear that these uh, exercises, both of them on a large scale, are somewhat being used as a, not confrontation, but to be beside the maneuvers that Russia has been planning. 
Yeah, this conflict between Russia and the European Union, of course, that is the reason for NATO. And what we're reporting here, folks, this is all political information you're listening to. But, of course, it is setting the stage for prophecy to be fulfilled. That's why John's so valuable to us here on Prophecy Today. And not leaving Europe yet, John, there's trouble in Europe, an article written that uh, uh, their global debt could cause a crisis. I know we've been watching Wall Street here in America. It's been about a 1,000 points down the last couple of days. I don't know how it's recovered. Haven't looked for Friday. But uh, th- this whole world could economically get in bad shape, which is, of course, one way to fulfill Bible prophecy also. This is one of the largest factors that should be in consideration is really the strength of the euro. But currencies only have value in relation to other currencies. So this would have to be a strong dollar-weak euro scenario. So you need to be watching the euro-U.S. dollar cross. And in terms of Brexit, the European Union has much more to lose than the United Kingdom, because the EU is actually fighting to see the survival of European federalism. Milton Friedman, who was the leading U.S. economist, when the euro was introduced, he gave the euro 10 years to last. Well, Hmm. it's outlived that, but it certainly has had its crisis times. So the factor is that a real global crisis could be triggered by a euro weakening. And also you have in terms of the debt, as you mentioned, uh, countries that have dollar debt would have a great pressure to repay those debts if the euro was weakened and therefore the dollar was stronger. So the euro is probably the single factor that could cause the global crisis, and it certainly will come. Um, You can't have the same uh, interest rates across such a vast area of, of 28, now 20, coming up 27 nations, you have the different economies all the way from Finland to Portugal to Greece. So this is a crisis that's waiting to happen, and it will happen. It's something to be aware of. And economically, this world has to go one direction for Bible prophecy actually to be fulfilled. Remember that mark that will be on the forehead of the back of the hand giving those who are left at the rapture during the tribulation period, that mark must be available, that identification mark, to be able to buy or sell. You see, again, I tell you, this political economic information we give to you, helping setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And the man who helps us do that, John Rood. John, thank you so very much, my good friend. Great report. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you. Look forward to it. Well, one of my namesakes is going to join us here at the broadcast table, Dr. Don DeYoung. He's head of the science department in Winona Lake, Indiana at Grace College. Don is such a neat guy. He knows a lot about astronomy, written a book or two on that. But what I'm really talking about is he and his precious wife just had a 10-day tour on Amtrak across the United States. And I caught him when he was on the train to set up for this interview, and he was just having a good time. Don, is it true? Did you have a great time, and would you recommend that tour? 
Well, Jimmy, train travel is a delight. It's a great way to see the country, and um, somehow they've put those rails in the places that cars can't even get to. So it's uh, you see a lot of good scenery of our great country. Here's why I wanted to get a hold of you, Don. Uh, the hurricanes, Judy and I were over in ministry in South Carolina when the hurricane came into the Carolinas, and then our daughter Jody was actually down on the coast of Florida Destin, Florida, and the police knocked at her door early in the week and said, you're going to have to evacuate. Everybody's been concerned about these hurricanes, and they're even having a conference in South Korea now on global warming, and and everybody is blaming the intensity of these hurricanes on global warming. I want to get to a definition of global warming first, then I want to see, do they play a role in the intensity of these hurricanes? So define global warming for us. Well, Jimmy, another word would be climate change, which is a several decade change in the average world temperature. It's pretty sensitive. If global warming is occurring, you might expect the average temperature of the ocean of the ocean and the earth to increase by just uh, uh, one or two or three degrees, and that's enough to tip the scale into uh, uh, a change of climate. Well, then these hurricanes and their intensity, because as I remember, this latest one, Michael came across the Gulf there in the warm waters. Uh, brought about the intensity, a Category 4, almost a Category 5 before it hit the panhandle of Florida. So then some type of warming, especially of the oceans, could cause intensity in the storms, you're saying. Well, it could. Now, we must be careful. A single hurricane cannot be attributed to climate change. However, if the sea temperatures do increase by a degree or two, that's a lot more energy, and hurricanes can make use of this. Of course, the whole history, Jimmy, shows hurricane season. Some seasons are quiet. Other ones have more severe hurricanes. Well, hurricanes, are they? would you consider your Bible student as well? The world wins, and I was reading through the Bible and the usage of that phrase, it seems some type of a storm is what is being talked about. God actually is responsible for these, is he not? Well, certainly. Now, whirlwinds spoken of in Scripture in different places may be more localized, like the form of a, of a tornado. I'm not sure hurricanes have ever occurred in the Mediterranean area, but there's lots of names, cyclones, whirlwinds, hurricanes, all part of the uh, world's weather system. Do you believe that uh, this thing, global warming, I know you're a scientist, but I know you're a biblicist as well. You study the Word of God. Uh, do you believe that uh, this global warming uh, is really what they say it, what the scientists are reporting it is? Well, it does appear that the average worldwide temperature has uh, increased by about one degree in the last 100 years. And uh, really, that's what amazes me when you think that the population of the Earth has more than doubled, that the temperature has not changed very much at all. I think it shows a, a strength and integrity to the way God set up the whole system. Uh, a bigger question is, uh, do people have anything to do with it, uh, these adjustments of, of temperature? There are so many factors that control temperature, whether uh, we, I'm sure we don't help it any, 
but there are a lot of natural factors that may far outweigh anything that uh, mankind does. And in that line, you told me when I called you to set up this interview while you were traveling across the country, something brand new has been discovered, and it relates to the Arctic and the melting of the ice up there. Share that with our listeners. Uh, yes, Jimmy. This is actually uh, the South Pole. This is the Antarctica, whereas um, last year, 2017, uh, studies are were done on the, the, the landform beneath the ice. Now, you have more than a mile thickness of ice in Antarctica. And what was found is uh, nearly 100 volcanoes that had not been detected before. Uh, these are under ice mountains. Now, whether they are active or not or have been in the future or in the past, uh, we don't know. But we can see these features and uh, makes you wonder how many more volcanic peaks there may be yet unseen. The interesting thing is, since they are volcanic, uh, they produce uh, heat, which can uh, melt the ice from underneath, and they certainly produce carbon dioxide as well. So, again, these are natural factors that come and go. And, in fact, uh, that's really my uh, suggestion, that the world's climate is always adjusting. It's always either um, uh, the temperature going up a bit or down a bit all through biblical history. Well, we'd have to say God is in control, was in the past, is presently, will be in the future as well. You agree with that, of course. Well, um, certainly, and we have promises in Scripture, such as in uh, Genesis 8, that cold and heat, summer and winter, will not cease. The seasons continue. And when we look to the other end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, in that tribulation period as you study through, you'll see ecological judgments on the earth and the form of the earth and the changing of the ocean from the ocean seas to blood and all the fish in the sea dying. Those are ecological problems that are going to happen, and that's going to be a judgment from God, not because of man's usage of carbon and all of that. Yes, you're describing major changes in uh, the environment and in the climate in those last days, and uh, that would, I think, be a very fearful time for people who don't know what's going on, but of course for uh, uh, God's children taken out of the way and uh, can look forward to the future. Yes, absolutely. Before all that happens, the church, those who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, will be raptured out of this earth into the heavenlies to be with him forevermore. I thought it would be a good topic to cover with a man who knows quite a bit about what is happening scientifically in the world. I wanted our listeners to eavesdrop on the conversation. And I've got to tell you, Don, I so appreciate your knowledge. I appreciate your friendship. And thank you for being with us this time. And as we see things continue like this, we'll be contacting you. Thank you for the visit, Jimmy. All right, and now we're coming to my favorite part of the program. Jim Jr. is here at the broadcast table with me. Jim has some prophecy Q&A that we want to deal with. Prophecy questions I'll endeavor to answer from the Word of God. What do you got, Jim? Our first question this week comes in kind of as a statement, and he was responding to something that you had said from one of our devotionals. But Larry sends in a statement. He says that the tribe of Naphtali has been located and are returning to Israel. 
They were located in the India and Nepal areas. They are being flown back and reported on by the Wings of Eagles organization and another plane company in Israel. Also, the Messianic organization of Moaz has verified that this is happening. You can verify this yourself. What are your thoughts on this, Ed? Well, I don't know much about what is going on as it relates to a lost tribe there in India or Nepal. I do have some concerns about Wings of Eagles. They're a fundraising organization. They have a very high overhead expense, which concerns me. And indeed, uh, I've been watching what's going on. We need all of us. And this is, I think, a a wake-up call for each and every one of us to make certain who we're giving money to. You might want to check out who this organization is, and I don't know how authentic this report is. I, when I looked at the verses that were along with this email, Isaiah 9, 1, 2 Kings 5, 29. By the way, there's only 28 verses in 2 Kings chapter 5. Uh, but when you look at uh, Isaiah 9, 21, uh, Isaiah 10, 10 to 16, I was not able to make out what you were trying to explain in the email, Larry. And I, I, I just don't know how to really respond to your statement. But let me make this statement. I don't believe there are any lost tribes of Israel. I believe all the tribes, all 12, have come back into the land. Might I suggest you study the book of Ezra, chapter 2. Remember in Ezra, chapter 1, God raised up a Medo-Persian leader, Cyrus, and in fact, Bible prophecy had predicted he would come on the scene. Isaiah 44 and 45 indicates that there would be a man named Cyrus who would give permission for the Jewish people to return to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple. There in Ezra chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it talks about that as the case. In chapter 2 of Ezra, it lists the people who were able to come back and rebuild that temple. 50,000 of them would return with Zerubbabel, and it lists the leaders of the families, tells us where they were from. If you'll study that very closely, you'll be aware of the fact that all 12 tribes are represented when they come back into the land after the Babylonian captivity. In fact, over in chapter 6, they have a dedicatory service of that temple that they will rebuild. That would be the second temple. And at that service, it says they offered 12 he-goats for the 12 tribes of Israel, and all of Israel was back in the land at that time. In addition to that, the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 10, he's having a conference with his disciples, trying to brief them on how to go out and be soul winners. He says, don't go, in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 10, don't go to the Gentiles, but instead go to the whole house of Israel. Now, he wouldn't be sending his disciples out to the whole house of Israel unless all 12 tribes were back in the land. And, of course, on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2 and verse 5, there were Jews from every nation of the world gathered there in Jerusalem for that feast day. So I would suggest that, Larry, the best approach would be to look at the fact that God's Word tells us all 12 tribes for the last 2,500 years have been back in the land. I become very concerned when somebody talks about a lost tribe or a tribe just recently found and they're being brought back into Israel. I know this would be an interesting vehicle for a fundraising organization to use in order to be able to raise some funds. I would just say let's walk circumspectly as we support any organization, but God's word is absolute. All 12 tribes have been back in the land 
for about 2,500 years. We have a question now that has two parts to it, Dad, and, uh, and from two different people, and I, I kind of combine them together. So let me read the first one first. When Jimmy was at Calvary Baptist Church at Danville, Illinois, he said that the angels announced the birth of Christ to temple shepherds caring for the temple flock, which produced the temple sacrifices, and that they were considered priests. I was always told that the shepherds were the lowest of all positions and basically on the bottom of the ladder. Can you help me understand? Well, let me just remind you one thing. Jesus Christ has referred many, many times in the Gospels to being a shepherd. He's the shepherd. In fact, the book of Hebrews refers to him as the chief shepherd. And so I don't think that that would be the lowest position that you could have. Jesus Christ is, of course, ultimately to be king of kings and lord of lords. He's the son of God, and calling him a shepherd is not a bad thing. And remember King David, who's going to come back and be co-regent with Jesus Christ when they operate the temple there for that thousand-year millennial kingdom here on the earth. King David will be resurrected and He was a shepherd boy at one time as well. My source for this information about these men being priestly shepherds would be the life and times of Jesus by a man named Edersheim. Uh, The doctor is a brilliant man. He's done great research about the life and the times of Jesus Christ. It would be a great source for you to purchase and be able to have, Kent, in your studies of God's Word. The information actually comes from the Talmud, which would be extra-biblical Jewish writing, uh, but they give information that will help us understand the Scriptures. Remember, it was Zacharias who was the course of Abia there in chapter 1 verse 5 of the book of Luke, talking about Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, the uncle of Jesus Christ. And you've got to remember that we know when these men would have served in the temple, not because King David gave them the 24 courses which they would serve during that time there at the temple, Uh, 28,000 priests not working 365 days a year, just two-week period of time. We know how and when they served, Because of the Talmud, Uh, there in 1 Chronicles 24, King David laid down the courses, the 24 courses, but the Talmud and those uh, commentaries on the Scriptures helped us uh, to understand that uh, these were priestly shepherds and what time of the year they would serve, etc., etc. Hope uh, that helps, Kent. And, Dad, just maybe a, a question that, that could be just common sense. On the Temple Mount, any anybody that was doing a job on the Temple Mount that required them, they had to have gone through the priestly studies, correct? That is correct. They had to spend some 28 years, from two years of age until 30 years of age. At 30, that's when they would qualify to be a priest, and they would study the book of Leviticus. You see, in the book of Leviticus, you have the first seven chapters that will give these men who are going to be priests the sacrificial system, a system of sacrifices so that they would know how to do these sacrifices. And then in chapters 8 through 11, you see the standards for these priests who will have to operate the temple or do whatever priestly duties they're called upon to do. And then from uh, chapters 12 through 27, you see how to worship and operate a tabernacle and or a temple. Remember when Leviticus was written, they only had the transportable worship center, which would have been the tabernacle. And so they will study these 27 chapters in the book of Leviticus, understand how they are to 
operate, how they're to live, what their restrictions on their lives might be, how to worship in the tabernacle or the temple. They get all that information. They qualify at 30. Then they are involved in getting into the requirements and the activities that would help them operate the temple and or be the priestly shepherds there in the shepherd's fields watching over those sheep who would be destined to go to the temple mount three miles away to be offered in sacrifice. Mm, a very important job. Reverend Roy Brooks sends in a question. He says, Dr. DeYoung, I just want to say what a blessing your Day of Discovery television program called A Promise of Christmas about the shepherd's fields and the lamb. I pass it on to other churches. Also, a preacher friend told us that the swaddling clothes were a burial cloth. Is this true? My research is limited to a few. I would like to know for sure, as I cannot get this, and I know you would know. Thanks a lot, Roy. I sure appreciate your confidence in me that I would know the answer. Well, I am not aware any place that the swaddling clothes was a burial cloth as well. I've heard that rumor. I've heard that uh, tradition. But I don't know that that is the case, Roy. I do know, and you can do this as well. Uh, Just go and uh, Google Wikipedia. And the source that I read for swaddling clothes, it was always associated with the birth. In fact, Little children today are not necessarily wrapped in swaddling clothes, but they're wrapped in a warm blanket after the birth uh, that their mother gives them, and they're brought into this new world. So this has been a tradition down through the centuries, and it was a key component in helping us to understand the sign uh, that uh, the angels gave to the shepherds there in the fields, these priestly shepherds who would then with haste Run to find the newborn babe. Pastor Brooks, we thank you for that question. We're going to spend more time on that later about the birth of Jesus Christ and the swaddling clothes and the sign that Dad referred to. As a matter of fact, if you would like more information about that before the Christmas season gets here, you can go to our Prophecy Today bookstore. Look on Bethlehem Beyond the Christmas Story. It's a great video, and we reenact the wrapping of that little lamb. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, David James and Dr. DeYoung have a conversation right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. We're going now into the third half hour of this broadcast. 90 minutes, an hour and a half every week. That's all we ask for so that we can give you contact with our broadcast partners, insight from them on current events that are unfolding in our world. We're glad to have this opportunity to bring this information to you. It will assist you in understanding how close we are to the fulfillment of the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. Welcome back to this half hour. I want to remind you to pray for us. We're not in a church this weekend. We're preparing to do a video shoot up in Washington, D.C., and then over in New York City. We're going to do a documentary entitled, Is the United States in Bible Prophecy? Really excited about this documentary, and we'll make it available to those of you interested in the subject. Be praying for us. We'll be all week long, both in Washington and in New York City. We now bring to this microphone David James. We're going to have our weekly conversation, and this time we're going to focus on the second annual Blessed Hope Prophecy Conference 
these kinds of conferences are happening across the United States. This is a pretty large conference, and I want to talk with David about the fact, are these kinds of conferences helpful to the body of Christ? But David, before we get into our conversation, uh, let's uh, take a moment to remind our listeners about our upcoming conference in December, where you will be teaching graphics and PowerPoint design. Now, what are a few of the things that people can expect to learn? And also, do people already need to be good with graphics to take advantage of what they will be learning? Well, I'm really looking forward to this conference and sharing with our students as well as those from the the community to come in and learn about graphics and PowerPoint design. We'll be covering things like composition of how you put together a PowerPoint slide, how you put together a poster, or these are principles that are applicable uh, across a wide range of of graphic uses, the use of fonts, how, how to choose your colors, where to get pictures, graphics, putting things together. So there are many very practical things how to make slides easy to read, how to make them so that they're eye-catching and memorable. And again, this would apply to books, posters, flyers, even announcements that churches put up on their projectors or televisions in a Sunday morning service. I really think this will be a value for uh, not only our students and pastors, but also those who may be in administration, secretaries, those in Christian education. I think it'll be very valuable. Wow, that does sound like an exciting time. You can go to my website, prophecytoday.com. There, there's going to be a revolving banner up top, and you'll see it's School of Prophets. That's December 11, 12, and 13 here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We'll be staying in a hotel right there on the river, on the Tennessee River. Lovely location, great opportunity to get with other Christian friends to learn something. By the way, I will be continuing my study of going through all 66 books of the Bible and showing you where they have prophecy passages that are key to our understanding the end-time scenario that is found in Bible prophecy. So, want more information, go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Now, let's get to the topic, David. This weekend, there's a major prophecy conference taking place in Norman, Oklahoma. We thought it would be important for us to discuss some of the concerns that we have. Would you take it from here, David? Sure. Well, we discussed the first Blessed Hope uh, Prophecy Conference or Prophecy Forum a year ago. It is being put on by Prophecy Watchers and Gary Stearman and Bob Ulrich, who are the founders of Prophecy Watchers, and they have assembled a really, uh, seems to be a very large conference. They have 33 speakers, which is almost unheard of. So it's an extremely large conference, and there are some good topics that are being discussed, but as you said, there are some things that uh, are of concern as well, and and, uh, I think it's helpful and important for our listeners to just think through some of this as to whether this is overall a good thing, or are there some things that we need to be concerned about and watch out for. And I want our listener friends to know that Dave and I have looked over the list of speakers and the topics that they're going to be discussing. We would agree there are some good Bible teachers who are dealing with important topics, David. 
That's right. Some uh, men that you and I know and we respect as teachers of the Word who are uh, good at handling particularly the prophetic uh, passages in Scripture and dealing with eschatology, the study of last things. For example, Mark Hitchcock, who is a pastor actually in in that area in Oklahoma, he kicks off the conference with a, a topic, can we still believe in the rapture? And certainly he uh, would, and he also has uh, one or two other main sessions that he is dealing with as well. Andy Woods, who is uh, fairly well known, and he's a, I, I have a lot of respect for him. He puts up a lot of good uh, videos dealing with some very important topics, a very, a very responsible teacher. And of course, our friend Tommy Ice is going to be there, and uh, he always brings a lot to the table. He's going to be talking about, in one of his sessions, talking about end times prophecies in uh, Deuteronomy. And so uh, these are some good men who bring a lot to the table and uh, people that we can we could all learn from. Absolutely. But apart from those speakers at the conference whom we would support, there are also those who we would be very seriously concerned about as well. Well, that's true, and I think this presents part of the problem. It's it's actually, with 33 speakers, you have quite a mixed bag, and there are some who are kind of in the middle that we would say generally they're they're fairly good and they're fairly responsible in handling the Word of God, but there are some others uh, in this group that I would have some very serious concerns about. For example, and, and I'm not going to get into naming names at this point. It's not necessary. People can go to the, the Prophecy Watchers website and look at it for themselves. But there are some, as I have done research into some of these men, there are some who are strongly charismatic, so that certainly influences the way they handle the Word of God. There are some who deal with what we have talked about as a Nephilim UFO eschatology, saying that the, the Nephilim are going to return to the earth. Some even say that the Antichrist is going to be a Nephilim, and they're talking about UFOs playing into this as well. There are some in the group who I was uh, researching one particular man. He doesn't believe that water baptism is for the Church today, neither should we be observing the Lord's table. So you have this uh, this broad range of backgrounds, and, and uh, I think this presents some serious problems for the people who will be in attendance, and not only will it be a large gathering there on site, but they're offering it live streaming as well, so it has the potential of having a lot of impact. Actually, what you've just said, David, begs the question, do you think having a mixture of good and bad prophecy teachers at a conference like this presents any problems for those who are there in attendance or who, as you just mentioned, may be watching it on streaming video? Well, I think it does. One of the problems that we have, and we'll talk about this in a few minutes, but since prophecy is not taught that much in the local churches, a lot of people who go to these different prophecy conferences, because of their interest, they're not well taught, and they don't know how to handle the Word of God accurately in many cases. And so what you have, if you have a situation where you have a very good prophecy teacher followed or preceded by a bad one or a sensationalist, somebody who's off the wall in their understanding and get off into speculation, for one thing, it comes across as a tacit and 
endorsement, and I think the average person may not be able to figure out how to sort sort it out, and they would assume naturally that a lot of these men are all on the same page and would be in agreement. And another thing is that when you get on stage with someone that you don't agree with, you have really one of two choices. You either contradict them, which introduces confusion into the audience, or you agree to not talk about things that you disagree with them on, and that actually gives credence to the the false teaching that they may be receiving. So I think there are a number of problems. And I know that, you know, you've been a prophecy teacher in a many uh, large conferences over the years, and I, and I know that uh, you are being much more careful in the invitations that you accept. Yes, I really am. And in fact, for the first Blessed Hope Conference, I was invited to be one of the speakers. I just respectfully turned that opportunity down. And uh, even before that, there were some of the same personalities and prophecy teachers that wanted me to join with them. Some of them I have talked with. I've been on their television programs, radio programs before. uh, But they've walked away from what I think is truly biblical prophetic truth in the Word of God. Uh, You know, if I was to have to say why I am not attending, and you've already basically mentioned it, but confusion to the attendees. I have been studying the Word of God and the prophetic Word of God for over 50 years, and I want to make certain that I am teaching what God's Word says, not what I think it says, but actually what it says. And if somebody's up there making up things, that's going to be confusing to attendees. The endorsement of some of these teachers who I would have to say are false teachers. I'm not going to name any names as well as you, David, but uh, I would think that uh, endorsing some of these teachers would be a dangerous thing to do. The Bible says to mark those who have a doctrine contrary to what we understand and avoid them. Do not join with them and especially do not endorse what they're doing. And I guess my bottom line, I'm going to have to stand at the judgment seat of Christ one day, not to determine whether I'm lost or saved. You don't go to the judgment seat unless you are saved. But my works are going to be judged, and I don't want to lose the rewards that I'm going to lay at the feet of Jesus Christ, Revelation chapter 4, verse 10, and Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, he'll bring back and then set my job description forever. I think that's a serious time. I want to be able to stand clean at the judgment seat of Christ. Well, David, let's just conclude this conversation. We always do it with a practical approach. Would you agree that one reason why prophecy conferences like this are regaining popularity is because of the lack of sound teaching on prophecy in our churches today? Well, I would definitely say that's true. It seems to be that it has become a topic that is now avoided because for whatever reason it has turned out that people have concluded that it's divisive and not that important. But, you know, we can't understand our present unless we understand where we're going in the future and what God is doing. And and I would also say not only is it a problem in the churches, I think it also starts in our academic institutions, our Bible institutes, Bible colleges and, and Christian universities and seminaries who are not 
accurately teaching eschatology to the the guys they are training to become pastors. So I think it's almost an epidemic problem, and I think if they were getting good, solid teaching in their churches, that they wouldn't be chasing after anybody who may have the next sensational perspective on future events. All right, let me make this final statement. If you're in a church that's not teaching Bible prophecy correctly, I would say go find another church. That's 30% of the entire Bible. And if this pastor that you're considering sitting under is actually teaching 30% of the Bible wrong, how do you know if he's going to be teaching the rest of it right? And we need to have our own individual studies. And that's one of the purposes for us here at Prophecy Today, the School of Prophets, which we've already talked about, is teaching prophecy correctly. And we would love for you to get involved with us. Now, you may say, how do you know you're correct and they're wrong? Well, come and study with us. And you have a responsibility to take us to the wall as we are considering this conference as well. If you think we're wrong, let's reason together in God's prophetic word. David, thank you so much. I think this was a topic we needed to discuss. Appreciate how you brought it to the table. And uh, we'll have another one similar to this, not necessary to the same issue, but another one next week when we get together. Thanks so much, Jimmy. Great to be with you again. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to open up the Word of God. We'll look at current events in light of biblical prophecy, helping you to understand where we are in God's time. And that's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. 
It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. And of course, the book is the Bible, which has all that God has planned for the future contained within 66 books. Every book of the Bible, all 66 of them, have Bible prophecy in them. You need to study those passages of Scripture to come to the knowledge of how God's plan is going to be worked out that I believe, in the very near future. By the way, that's the reason we have our broadcast partners on with us for the first almost two-thirds of the broadcast. I take a look at the book right here in the last eight minutes so that you can put it all together, God's prophetic word and the reports, the insight from our broadcast partners on these current events happening, setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. You can listen to these reports. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Then go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. That's where we have all of the reports that I had with my broadcast partners today. They have been archived there. You can listen to them, re-listen if you've already done that, get more information, and be sure to pass all of this along to your friends who need to understand Bible prophecy and see how it is getting very close to being fulfilled. In the news this week, a number of stories which our broadcast partners reported and then dealt with with great insight. Let me take a moment now, refresh your thinking about what they had to say, and I'll also at the same time give you my prophetic perspective on this week's news. Ken Timmerman, he covers the geopolitical events of this world. We talked about the release of a pastor and a possible murder in the Saudi embassy in Turkey. It's being covered in the news media all across the world, both of those items. You know, it's interesting to note that Tayyip Erdogan, who is the president of Turkey, has been in the news and quite a bit for the last three or four years, and I do believe it's a part of his desire to play a key role in the end-time scenario that is found not only in our Bible, which is absolute, but in Islamic eschatology as well. Erdogan wants to revive the Ottoman Empire. You know, Turkey is mentioned in a key verse in Ezekiel 38, actually two verses. In chapter 38 of Ezekiel, verses 2 and 6, we read about Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, and Tagarma. In the days of the apostles and ministry in Asia Minor, Asia Minor was divided into four parts, Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, and Tagarma. That means Ezekiel's prophecy is indeed talking about Turkey and Tayyip Erdogan moving every day closer to playing that key role in end-time prophecy. David Dolan gave us our Middle East news update, quite a bit of information, but he led his report with an advisor to Mahmoud Abbas, president of the Palestinian Authority, and he said that the alignment attack on the Jewish state of Israel was already underway. That's the alignment of the Islamic world trying to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. You know, it's going to be Middle Eastern Islamic nations that will form that coalition. Ezekiel 38, Daniel 11, Psalm 83. 
We talked about the fact that the Palestinians are announcing that this attack has already started. Well, the Palestinians will hang around for the entire seven years of the tribulation period. The little book of Obadiah says they will be finally wiped off the face of the earth as if they had never been when Jesus Christ returns, giving all that he has promised to the Jewish people and destroying the Palestinian people. That's God's word. It is absolute. John Rood had his report on the European Union. His lead story, Tony Blair, says a second Brexit referendum is a viable possibility. And in fact, that's exactly what Tony Blair would like to see happen. He does not want to see Great Britain pull out of the European Union. Well, that is key. You remember Tony Blair used to be the Middle East envoy for the quartet, United States, European Union, Russia, and the United Nations. This is key when Tony Blair gets back involved because I do believe that Tony Blair has been used to help set the stage for the revival of the old Roman Empire. That's Daniel chapter 7. Don DeYoung, no kin that we know about, but he's a qualified scientist. He says that global warming does not really cause hurricanes to intensify, but it is a part of the entire apparatus of how these fierce storms have attacked recently in the Carolinas and in the panhandle of Florida. Remember, all weather comes from God, and in the tribulation period, that seven-year period of time after the rapture, there will be ecological judgments upon the face of the earth. The ocean, in fact, will all turn to blood, and all the fish in the sea will die. Now, this is because God is in control. That's the prophecy found in the book of Revelation, chapters 8, 9, and 11, and then chapter 16 as well. And it was interesting to note there are volcanoes under the South Pole ice that could be the reason for the melting of the ice in that region of the world. Jim Jr., of course, bringing questions from you, the listener, to our broadcast table, prophecy questions that I had the privilege of answering. Send your prophecy question to Jim Jr. at prophecytoday.com. And we were talking about false teachers, the second Blessed Hope Conference, a prophecy conference in Norman, Oklahoma with a mixture of good prophecy teachers and false prophecy teachers, the confusion that comes from that deception from those who do not agree with the word of God. That's in fact what Jesus said, Matthew 24, deception, the greatest sign of the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. You know, all of these stories reported by our broadcast partners are helping us to see how the stage is being set for the rapture today. The rapture happens, and then the fulfillment of all of these prophecies take place. But remember what I just said. The next thing is the rapture, and that rapture could happen at any moment. That means nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is a listener-supported production of Shofar Communications in Chattanooga, Tennessee.